This morning's scripture, Romans 11, verses 6 through 10. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel if failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect attained it, obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table be a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us the opportunity and the tools to be able to examine your word father and to look deep within it yet lord we know that as much as we have without your spirit our attempts to understand would be futile so we ask this morning father with humble hearts that your spirit would intervene in our minds and give us better understanding of your words as given to us through the apostle paul and father i pray that the words i speak be not of me but be of you and glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. As we continue to look this week, it's not one to work. We continue to look at Israel, and we look at the question of what is the future of Israel, the genealogical Jews, and, and what, if anything, does God have in store for them going forward? I want us to be careful, and I've cautioned us all many times as we've gone through specifically getting into Romans 9 and dealing in through 10 and into 11. I want us to be cautious as we look at, at God's Word, and there are certain dangers when we read passages that are as revealing as what we have today that basically speaks of God hardening and God blinding people and so we have to keep it in certain tension in our minds lest we enter a very dangerous place and as I've said so many times before there are dangers whenever we take scriptures and run with them and we take them to an extreme sometimes they don't have the benefit that we're supposed to gain from them when we take them and, and place them into places where they weren't meant to be. When we take things to the extreme, they tend to fall apart. You've heard me warn you uh, about my metaphors and about the analogies that I use. Yeah, on the surface and looking at them superficially, they may make sense. But if you really want to take them and you want to press them back into the corners, they're going to fall apart because they're not the reality and they're, they're, they're not from God. And yet these scriptures are from God, but we still want to be careful whenever we try to understand them because it's us trying to understand God and, and that's the problem we get into. So when we spend a lot of time analyzing these and breaking them down we may think that we've got it figured out but you have to hold them in constant tension and you have to understand that there is more most of the time than what meets the eye 
And it happens especially whenever we look at passages that speak to the sovereignty of God. Because there's, there's a lot of tension that comes into play when we look at the sovereignty of God and the, the freedom of human beings. And if we go back to Romans 9, we saw that Paul talked about Pharaoh and talked about hardening Pharaoh's heart. And the quote was, so he hardens whomever he wills and he shows mercy on whomever he wills. And that's true. That is the absolute truth. And Pharaoh was the example that Paul used to demonstrate God's sovereignty in what he does. But if you go back to the book of Exodus, and you look at all those plagues that played out over time, you're going to see the author, Moses, jump back and forth. And you're going to see a plague come, and you're going to see Moses describe Pharaoh hardening his own heart. That Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and he told Moses, no, not going to set your people free. And then you'll see the next plague come down, and you'll see at the end of that plague, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then at that time, Pharaoh's, nope, not going to set the people free. And it goes on and on and on. But you'll read and you'll see that it jumps back and forth, that it's Pharaoh doing the hardening of his own heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. It, it jumps. And so there's one, not one overriding hardener, for lack of a better term. It wasn't a situation where God totally hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh was an innocent bystander in the overall scheme of things when in reality he deserved salvation. Don't think that way because that can naturally flow from that. And we have a tendency to see that in Romans 9 saying, how can God harden Pharaoh's heart? I mean, isn't Pharaoh the victim here? And Pharaoh's the one that ends up in eternal damnation because of all this. So who did the hardening? Was it Pharaoh or was it God? Because the author in Exodus, Moses, says that they both did it. So what is the situation or, or which is it? Was it Pharaoh or was it God? I think this same idea is found in Romans chapter 1. Two years ago, a little over two years ago, that we ran through this. Romans 1. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and amen. So who exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal men? Men and women did. The people exchanged, traded the glory of God for something else. And what was the result? 
gave them up. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. So we've got different things going on here, right? We've got people that so loved sin and were so embracing the sin, trading the glory of God for something that they wanted or some semblance of themselves. And then after that happened, God said, is that what you want? That's what you got. Here. Here you go. So it is my position that this is a way in which God hardens the heart of individuals. I'm saying this is very similar to what we see back in Exodus with respect to Pharaoh. So, loving and cherishing and holding on to sin hardens our hearts. It does indeed. If you don't believe it, just look at someone that's embraced sin in their lives whenever they come into church. They're hard to everything that they hear, to everything that they see. And unless God sovereignly intervenes, they remain hard to the gospel. But then after a period of time, that what you want, that's what you got. God gives them over to that debased mind. God then becomes an active force in hardening that heart the same way that he did with Pharaoh. It's the individual sin that starts the process and it's God that finishes the process as we saw with Pharaoh. Unfortunately, or fortunately, either way, we've become a people, we've become a society that enjoys understanding things. And I'm quite certain that people have always been that way. We want to be able to know what's happening how it works, what's going on. And when we can't, we have problems with it, right? We have problems with it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we've made great advancements in science and medicine and different things because we have constantly had this desire or or craving to figure things out, to solve problems, and, and to deal with things in that manner. However, we must accept that there are certain things that we are never going to fully comprehend and know. The reason being, he's God, we're not. Nor will we ever be. So you may think, well, whenever I make it to that side, I will... No, you will never fully comprehend God because that would make you on an even keel with him. And that can't be. Those of you that have dealt with disease and sickness, as we all have, but it's probably been the last 10, 15 years of my life that I realized there was a fallacy that I had whenever I was younger. And that fallacy was the doctors could figure it out and, you know, until you get to a certain stage, they can fix it. That's not right. And the more you deal with doctors, the more you're going to know and understand they know a very, very small amount about the human body and our physical health. It's tiny. And what they do know is generalized to everybody. And if you don't fit that category of everybody, you're going to be out on the margins and they're not going to be able to treat you. Because they're trying to understand 
something so beautiful and complex that our Father made. Yeah, they've, they've been able to make great advancements, but they're never going to be able to get to the understanding of our human body that God has, that He created. The beauty and the glory and the magnificence of our human body will never be able to be fully understood. And I think any doctor worth their own salt comes to that realization and understands that, look, there are just some things, a lot of things, that they can't explain, nor can they treat. That's a problem we have when we try to fully understand God and his creation. So we're left with this problem in the Bible. We're left with this problem with Pharaoh. If Pharaoh hardened his own heart and God is outside of that, then Pharaoh has done something to make God have to react and circle the wagon, so to speak, and God's not totally sovereign. So we've got a God problem. And then he wouldn't be God. Conversely, if God's solely responsible for hardening Pharaoh's heart, then where is the fault that anybody can find with Pharaoh? Right? He's a victim in all this. He didn't do anything to deserve it. After all, it's God who did it to him. So there we have that problem. Who is responsible? If God's totally responsible for the hardening, Pharaoh's a puppet. And he has no blame in the situation. Both are right and both are wrong. Both are right when we hold them in tension and both are wrong when we take them to the extremes. And that's the danger, that's the warning that I have for everyone this morning. It is a delicate tension that we must maintain to make sense out of what's going on between what Pharaoh chose to do and what God chose for Pharaoh to do and the interaction of that. Make no mistake about it. Pharaoh was an ungodly and evil man. He loved sin and he loved himself more than anything else in this world. God used Pharaoh's evilness to accomplish his plan, thereby glorifying himself. So God used the evil that was already within Pharaoh, that Pharaoh chose, that Pharaoh was responsible for, in order to glorify himself. He worked in and through Pharaoh's vileness to harden his heart. Again, as I've said many times, how that works, not a clue. Don't have any idea. But I will tell you this. The workings of the human will are every bit as complex and difficult to understand as the workings of the human body. For some reason, we think that they're not. For some reason, we think that the will is one thing and the body is the other. And yeah, the body may be complex, but the will is pretty easy to understand. I choose everything I'm going to do. That is extremely naive, short-sighted, and quite honestly, not very smart. The human will is extremely complex, and there are a lot of things that work in and through us that determine what we choose and where we go and how we go about our lives. 
whether it's through DNA, whether it's through things that we went through as a child or things that we go through day to day in our lives. I don't know, and I can't pinpoint any of them. I'm just telling you that they are extremely complex. So that's the problem we have when we want to pigeonhole Pharaoh into one corner and God into another corner and the inner workings of the two. They are extremely complex to the point where I can't understand it. I know that Pharaoh absolutely is responsible for the sin that was within his heart and the evilness that he put the Jews through in trying to keep them as his slaves. And yet I also know that God worked in and through that to harden Pharaoh's heart so that in the end he would be glorifying himself. That brings us to today's passage. That's not it. That's it. Verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So keep in mind what we're looking at. We're still looking at Israel as a nation and examining whether there is a future for the nation of Israel in the kingdom of God. Last week, we saw Paul saying, God has not abandoned his people. He has not abandoned them. Why hasn't he abandoned them? Because I'm one of them, Paul says. He said, I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite. And God has not abandoned me. And that then rolls us into verse 6. For if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So Paul's saying, I am one of those. I am of the remnant that God has saved and has not abandoned. Yet he didn't do it because of what I did or didn't do. He did it on the basis of grace. He did it on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ as Paul's Lord and Savior. And he wanted to make sure that we knew that. And so he reiterates it here in verse 6. So this remnant that's being saved, this small group of Jews that's being saved out of the nation at, this, at that time, and quite frankly at this time, is being saved by grace and only by grace. It is not on the basis of the law, on the basis of keeping any law or following any law or any type of traditions. The Jews were meant to be the mouthpiece of God. He plucked them out and they were to share the gospel with the entire world. But they all went astray. They went astray because they believed it was about them. And so they didn't share the gospel. Remember Jonah, right? Jonah was a Jew. Who was he sent to share the gospel with? A Gentile. The Gentiles in Nineveh. Did he want that? Did he embrace that? Did he say, God, I can't wait. Let me go. No. He rejected that. He couldn't bring himself to the thought of sharing the gospel with such an ungodly group of people. That's the problem. Jonah shows us what happened to the Jews. He is a, a microcosm of, of what happened to the Jews. That was their job. They were given God, they were given information from God, and they were to share it. And yet they become so introverted in their own self-righteousness, their own glory, that they no longer wanted to share it with anybody else. They wanted to keep it for themselves 
And instead of reaching out to those Gentiles that were sinful, that were ungodly, offering God to them, they shunned them because of who they were or who they perceived them to be. And they got so caught up in being God's chosen people that they weren't going to share him with anybody else. They became too good to do that. They became self-righteous and introverted to the point that they despised anyone who wasn't one of their own or like them. It's a danger in the church. I told you that we can gain a lot of pointers if we just kind of replace the Jews with the church and see how that works. That's our job, that's our duty, to share the gospel with everybody out there. But how many churchy folk look at those that are doing that? Nah. I'm not going to share the gospel with somebody that is so ungodly as that person or this person. We have a real danger of doing the same thing that the Jews do. And whenever we do that or act that way, then we became... We become self-righteous, and we become just a little bit better than everybody else, or we think we are just a little bit better than everybody else. What have we lost sight of during all that? We've lost sight of the fact that it's Christ that makes us righteous, not ourselves. And folks, that is a constant battle that we all should have, that I have. We are to obey Christ because we love him, but somewhere in that obedience... We think that that obedience is going to get us eternal life, is going to keep our position in, in heaven. And that turns around and becomes self-righteousness. It morphs into self-righteousness so quickly and so easily. Every day, we need to check ourselves and ask ourselves, are we doing it just because we love Christ? Are we comfortable and do we know that his burden is easy and his yoke is light? Because so often we make it heavy and hard because we turn it into, I got to do this or I got to do that. And if I don't act this way, then who knows, maybe I'm not saved. That's not what Christ wants for us. He lived the perfect life so we don't have to. He lived the perfect life to save us from our sinfulness. If we don't have sinfulness, we don't need saving. Now, that's not to say that we just forget obedience altogether and say, God, i got a whole lot of saving to do, just get to work. No. It should be our desire to please him, but to please him not on the basis of salvation. So we have to be very careful with that. Verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. What, it, what was it they were seeking that they failed to obtain? Righteousness. They failed to obtain the righteousness that they were seeking, yet the elect obtained it. And we were told earlier that they weren't even looking for it. They weren't even looking for it, and they found it. It was the righteousness of God because it came by faith, through faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. But the rest were what? Hardened. We have that connection between Pharaoh and this reference to the Jews. So there were some that received it, obtained it. The elect 
God's chosen ones attained it, but the rest were hardened. So this group that was hardened, were they innocent folks that deserved eternal life? No. Just like Pharaoh. They were evil at the core. And they hardened themselves as much as God hardened them. It was a co-arrangement here. It wasn't as if they were pure and, and holy and righteous in every way and God just decided to harden them. They were evil, they loved sin, they embraced sin, they loved themselves more than anything else. And you can see how that played out throughout Jewish history. And they rejected the Messiah and they were hardened. So then we have the hardened that goes back and references all the way back to Exodus and Pharaoh And then we have a quote in verse 8. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they would not see and ears that they would not hear down to this very day. This is from Isaiah 29.10. He gave them an insensitive spirit that they are blinded and made deaf. Now we're going to see that this was done so that the gospel message would be spread to all parts of the earth. Because up until this time, they were God's mouthpiece, as I said, and they had the responsibility to share it. They refused to share it. They would not share it. So they were made blind, deaf, and an insensitive spirit so that that gospel message would be shared with other groups of people. Not all of them, because Paul is one of the remnant. He was one of the elect. And so we go into verse 9. It was a quote from Isaiah. Verse 8 was a quote from Isaiah. Verse 9 is a quote from the Psalms or David, Psalm 69, 22, and 23. Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. So David wrote this passage seeking help from God against his enemies. He asked to let their table become a snare it's easy to gloss over that word table but if you think of a place other than maybe perhaps your bedroom a place in your home where you would invite others that you would sit down be comfortable with feel safe feel secure it's your kitchen table your dining table right it's sort of a sacred place in everyone's home It's a place where wonderful conversation is exchanged, where, you know, hopefully a lot of pleasantries are exchanged, and you have wonderful times over food. And David uses this. Their table, their sacred place, the thing that they loved, became a snare and a trap, a stumbling block for them. What was their table? What was the one thing that the Jews so loved the law. They loved the law because that's what set them apart. They were given the law by God. They embraced it. That was their happy place. That was the safety that they found. That was their table. So this thing that God gave them all of a sudden became a snare. All of a sudden became a trap for them. It was a stumbling block because they could not get past and could not understand why God had given it to them and what they were supposed to do with it. It became a source of retribution from God. 
I think we have to watch out again as a church on things that we believe are our safe places, things that we love that are from God becoming a snare and a trap for us. One of them is the church, right? This is a safe haven. It's a holy place. It's beautiful and wonderful in every way. But I got to tell you, if you trust in this building to save you, it will end up being a a trap and a snare. A trare is a combination between a trap and a snare. But that's what will happen. Be on guard of that. Don't let anything as safe as it may seem and as beautiful as it may be end up being a trap and a snare for Christians. Because we do that. We, we think, well, the church, and I'm going to church, I'll be good to go, and that will assure me that place in heaven. No, it won't. It won't. It is by grace. It's always by grace. Through faith. Belief in Christ. That's the answer. Not this building. In the same way it was not the answer for the Jews. They believed that that law was their answer, their safe place, what would save them. And it just became a stumbling block to them and we have to be very careful that the things that we have whether it is the church whether it is baptism whether it is communion you name it all these wonderful things that we go to places we go to and things we practice as Christians we just need to make sure they don't become the snare or a trap in our Christian walks or lives let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see And bend their backs forever. So that's what happened to the Jewish nation. Now, at the end of that passage, as I close here, I don't like the use of the word forever. Because if you go back and you actually read the psalm that this comes from, Paul, or not Paul, but David writes, as long as they are blind, let them labor continually. Continually. So they just translated that forever. So as long as they cannot see, let them labor continually. And the reason I make that change, or I, I say that, is we're going to see, and you're going to see that it doesn't appear that they're going to be blind forever. And it doesn't appear that they're going to be laboring forever. We're going to see, as this chapter plays out, that, that there is a future for the Jews. That there is a future for Israel. But that future is not going to come through keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not going to come by anything they do. It's going to come by way of grace, through faith, the same way it comes to us and to the Jews back then. So as I close, we see what happened to the Jews. We see what happened to Pharaoh. We see what David talked about with respect to his enemies. We saw Isaiah's prophecy There's been many times throughout history that God has blinded, that God has hardened, that that God has done these sorts of things to disobedient peoples. But the good news is he's faithful to his promises. And he promises us eternal life through his son. You can take that to the bank because that's what he delivers to each one of us. And we're going to watch and we're going to see that the promises to the Jews will not go without God keeping them. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, as we look and we we see the stories of the Jews, the Israelites, the genealogical Israelites, Father, 
we know that there can be a lot of similarities between them and us as the church. Father, let us learn lessons as we go through this. Let us understand the dangers that we can become ensnared in and the problems that it can cause in our Christian walks, Father. And Lord, we just pray that you give us the courage and the eyes to be able to see them because we know that the Jews could not see those snares. They could not see those stumbling stones. And we just pray that we're always real with ourselves, with each other, with our hearts and where we are in our own lives, Father. And we pray that throughout our walk that you be glorified more than anything. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.